0: Hello, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to our show this week. It's the Not The Top 20 podcast, Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair and breaking down All of the action from the second weekend of the EFL season. And because it's such a busy and bumper show, uh, a long episode this one, a good time to remind you that the time codes for the discussion of each division are in the description of this podcast. I know that for some of you, uh, the League One chat or the League Two chat might be where you'd like to start. um, But there's so much good stuff across the whole episode. So hopefully you will tuck into all of it. But the time codes are in the description for those of you who want to pick your poison. George, I'm not sure how long one should bang on about how great it is to have fans back in stadia celebrating last minute goals, moaning at a throw-in being given the other way, but I think two weeks is definitely fine and it really has made the first two weeks of this season start with a bang rather than whatever we had last season, a a cough
1: probably. (laughs) That's apt given that you've been spluttering your way through the weekend uh, and, I, and I must say it's great to have fans back in stadiums it's also great to have Ali Maxwell back in front of a microphone uh, having to stand down from Quest on Saturday which I know all the EFL faithful fans were gutted about when they turned on their TV at 9, nine o'clock on Saturday evening uh, yeah I mean it's it is incredible. I, I'm so frustrated that, as a fan, I haven't been able to go and watch uh, my beloved team play yet. I'll be putting that right uh, away in the away end at QPR in a in a week's time uh, in the Carabao Cup. But um, yeah, it's just it's just so great to see. And it, you know, I, it's always tempered seeing the scenes by me just praying and hoping that this is going to be the, the the case for the rest of the season. Now, like there was one brilliant video that I saw on Twitter from the uh, Cheltenham Wickham game. A Cheltenham fan, well, a few Cheltenham fans, but one in particular were down right in front of the corner flag, chanting at Joe Jacobson, you're just uh, bleep uh, Chris Hussey over and over again. Jacobson whips, whips the ball in, it's nodded in by Vokes, and Joe just turns to this guy and just stands with his arms outstretched in front of him. And it's just those tiny bits that just make football better and especially football at this level because you have that ability to interact you know there's much more engagement between the terraces and the players Jacobson tweeted after the game saying that he shook the guy's hand and stuff it's just you know to use a a cliche that doesn't really mean anything but at the same time means absolutely everything Uh, it's just it's football that's what football's all about Um, and you love to see it great cliche we've always been big users of cliche on this pod um, <laughs> uh,
0: thanks for your kind words a bleak weekend for me uh, in fact some very perceptive listeners of the betting show basically diagnose me with uh with this bad cold that I've had over this weekend and I should say definitely not what you think it is um and I have the 59 negative tests to prove it but yeah not fully back to match fitness but I should be good for an hour Uh, Just as long as you don't ask me to press too hard from the front, George. Uh, Let's start with some championship chat where, typically, for the quote-unquote most unpredictable league in the world, I think both of us have some issues with that phrase now. Possibly not even the most unpredictable league out of the three EFL divisions in general, but... A brilliant division and it is summed up by the fact that through two games not a single team out of 24 has six points no one with a 100% record so we'll start with Huddersfield 1 Fulham 5 as the eye-catching result of the weekend George and I think we have to start with that first goal scored just about by Alexander Mitrovic uh, he was almost a sort of supporting actor uh, in his own goal there I don't really know what there is to say about this one. I'm sure most people would have seen it. If not, press pause, go on Twitter, find the goal. Um, it probably shouldn't have stood, should it, George? But I'm so glad that it did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not as convinced as everybody else that um, the, the ball was necessarily definitely out of play. I think often the optical illusion of seeing a gap between a a, um, a ball and a line or a player and a line can play... Optical illusions on you because it doesn't necessarily mean the whole ball was over the line. But right, that is Isaac kind of, Newton. Bloody hell! Well, it's just it, it. It's one of my pet peeves, basically. Um, <laughs> but it. But this one looked like it probably was out. But just the fact that Schofield himself was over the line doesn't mean that the ball was over the line. Um But even so, uh, it was appalling uh, from Schofield himself. But I. I think. they have a hospital the, pass, wasn't it? <laughs> I think yeah, it was. But I think the. Um, the finish for Mitovich is is brilliant. Like it's you know it, it's not a case of it just kind of hitting him and flying in. It's, it's he manages to contort his body in a way that actually gets a semblance of a shot off. I'm not I'm not suggesting for a minute that he managed to squeeze it in, uh, you know, in, into the corner like he did deliberately. But I do think there was a an element of skill there that probably goes um, isn't evident until you're watching it the third or fourth time. Um, but certainly it was a, it was a a comedy goal um, that led to a. Just very, very poor defensive performance from from Huddersfield. Um, they looked like a side who I don't know, who who are just sacrificing so much defensively in order to, to pursue um a certain style of play that doesn't really seem to suit their players. Like they keep the ball in midfield plenty. You know, I tweeted this morning about the the Danny Ward stat, and this isn't a go at Ward himself either. I think this is more um, the state of the of the style uh, that's trying to be implemented by Carlos Corberan, where the, the the strikers up front are so isolated and the outboard is always Coroma. you know Ward completed one pass in the first half he was subbed at half time. he completed one well he attempted sorry one pass in the first half uh, which was from the kickoff so at no time during open play did their lone striker in the first half receive the ball to feet and try and pass it to someone, nor did he get onto his head and attempt to flick on. Nothing. He had seven touches of the ball, one was a shot. You know, And this, again, it's, I'm not having necessarily a go at him because you look at uh, the same stats when it comes to the players that came on Fraser Campbell had five, made five attempted passes. Jordan Rhodes six, and when you consider that those two players were playing in a game where they were well behind, so game state would dictate that they would have more of the ball anyway. And Harry Wilson was sent off after seventy-two minutes. um, There is something systematically wrong with what Huddersfield are trying to do in an attacking sense, and when you consider the five goals that they conceded as well, um, you know, and we've mentioned on the podcast plenty in pre-season that the. The defenders that they brought in don't seem to suit that kind of passing style they're trying to play. Matty Pearson, thirty-one of those. Well, Matty Pearson playing in the middle of defence had the ball more than anybody else on the day. Uh, that there doesn't seem to be any joined-up thinking with Huddersfield as to how to win a football match. It is pure aesthetics for aesthetic's sake. And then you've got a Fulham side who are able to do to do it both ways. You know, who had a lot of the ball themselves. Um, who able to retain it in deep areas. You look at the quality they've got, you know, two somewhat estranged players uh, last season in Jean Serri and, uh, and Angisa, two players who just should not be playing in a second tier in any country. Uh, Serri started in midfield and really knitted things together in a way that we didn't see on opening day. Um, and then Angisa came on off the bench I and mean, what an option to have. Fulham are just littered with quality. You know, you look at their first team uh, on paper and the, and the way that it turned out. You know, you've got the um, the goal scorer, you know, the favourite to be top goal scorer this season in, in the league, in Mitrovic, um, getting in amongst the goals. You've got Wilson, who hit the woodwork twice before being sent off, but we, we know can do the spectacular. Fabio Carvalho, the teenager, who, who got his goal as well. And then off the bench, you've got Ivan Caviera, who comes on and scores twice. It's it's just an embarrassment of riches. You know, and we haven't even mentioned um, Bobby de Cordova-Reed, who, who got his three assists. They are a side who I think this is the game you know we've spoken a lot in, in pre-season about how there's a big gap between the teams at the top end of the league and those towards and the rest of them basically and I think on this occasion we saw that how big the gap is between the best and the worst because um I don't think there are many countries where well let's say in the EFL recently the quality gap between these two sides in every sense is just fast
0: yeah, it was a third Fulham goal for me that was the most
1: sort of instructive and and exciting
0: because it was Josh Onoma, Bobby Reed, Carvalho and Harry Wilson and then finished off by Mitrovic. And those four players are all so technically brilliant, so skillful, um, so versatile and kind of... Can can fulfill different roles and can play a really fluid attacking game. And Mitrovic, as you mentioned, the top scorer last time that he was in the division, the the, the favourite to be top scorer this time out, and clearly a, a brilliant penalty box striker. But two years ago I felt that Fulham under Parker were not nearly good enough as a threat in transition, and I felt that Mitro was kind of the elephant in the room on that front, especially because we were comparing him to Watkins all the time at that point because they were going for the golden boot together, and Watkins in transition running the channels, you know, did so much more than Mitrovic and helped his team on that front so much more. But maybe with that group that I've mentioned leading the charge, Fulham can improve on that front under Silver. And if they do, then as an attacking prospect, they are, well, they have another dimension to what they had two years ago. Of course, it's early days. And we should mention, as you did, that Huddersfield are about as soft a touch as you get at this level, and that has been the case uh, for over a season now. Um, Reid's hat-trick of assists were, were were excellent. All slightly different, flick on from a set-piece, um, uh, a nice short pass, and then one brilliant ball over the top to Cavalero. Uh, and Seri, as you mentioned, He's entering his fourth season now as a Fulham player um, and we've barely seen him, have we? I mean, he did play a few games in that first Premier League season, um, but if he's up for it, he's going to be a real treat. Very tidy, as you say. Uh, We've certainly seen the best and worst of Harry Wilson already in just two league games. Kicking Colwell in and around the nuts uh, and picking up a straight red card was was not his smartest. Uh, And just lastly on Huddersfield, I always enjoy Greg's Sunday Scout reports. Huddersfield fans... Uh, He said, It turns out that the error-strewn, I-follow pantomime of the last six months wasn't just a terrier's cheese dream. More gaffes here than Danny Dyer presenting cribs. Fully (laughs) maybe good, but I couldn't confirm that. Tete and Adarabayo were strong, Carvalho lively, Colwell and High Town's one-eyed men. Let's move on to the second biggest win of the weekend in the Championship. That was Hull nil, QPR three. After a one-all draw on opening day against Millwall, uh, QPR are often running, George. And yeah, the better side here, 3-0 winners. Probably wasn't a 3-0 game on the balance of play and, and chances created, but still a very strong eye-catching, I would say, away performance from Queen's Park Rangers.
1: Yeah, it was. And I think because the, the team I want to talk about the most in the sense of this game is Hull. So let's start with QPR because we need to give them due credit. Um, Charlie Austin was... Was out for this one um, with injury, so Lyndon Dykes came in, which we think would be something of a downgrade. But Dykes played very well and took his goal well as well. Rob Dickey with his with his third goal of the season in three games. I have absolutely no idea what he was doing, where he was when he scored the goal. I mean, I love it, but you know, that is a sense of a centre back who's um, got a lot of confidence because it wasn't from a set piece. He just decided just to to get himself in the six yard box and and was in the position that Austin would probably adopt if he was on the pitch. Um, to bundle it home uh, and it was just a really accomplished performance and, and again maintaining their style that's the key thing here you know what Mark Warburton hasn't changed away from the way he wants to play they had the ball for, for plenty of the game Willock was unbelievably impressive I thought um, not, not just his goal the way that he's able to drop in and allow chair to move forward at times uh, link up the play between midfield and attack really well he's such a well-rounded player um, you know you can't really pigeonhole him into a position um such as the, the amount of work that he does and the goal threat that he is. So massive credit to QPR and I'm not taking anything away from, from them in what I'm about to say here, uh, but I thought the Hull were as good as you're going to see a team play to lose a game 3-0, to be honest. I, I'm not in any way put off by their performance. Um, you look at the first two goals... They were both scored courtesy of of deflections uh, effectively, not to, or I mean Ingram should have done better with the first one rather than his deflection. he he should have saved it. Uh, it was poor to to get. It was very close to him. He got down early and he parried it into the side netting. I think normally you'd see a championship keeper make that save. It was funny because last week I said Ingram made some great saves. He had the gloves
0: last season, but they've signed Nathan Baxter on loan from Chelsea, who we rate very, very highly and he'll be putting pressure on Ingram. But more performances like that and he should keep the gloves. Well, more performances
1: like that on this weekend and Baxter will be breathing down his neck. I think Baxter will probably get them uh, fairly soon. Um, with Dykes, with Dykes' goal, it was deflected on its way to to Ingram. So I, I'm not taking any um, anything away from the goals themselves. They're they're just maybe the kind of goals that, in isolation, you look at and you think, yeah, maybe they don't always fly in. And on the other hand, Hull had plenty of opportunities themselves to um, to to get on the score sheet. Seni Diang made an incredible save from a Josh McGinnis' header. Uh, there was, of course, the incredible block from Rob Dickey. You know, of all the. It's going to be a lot of talk about Rob Dickey in the next couple of weeks and because of the goals, but his his goal line clearance was better than anything that he's done going forward, um, especially at 1-0, um, to read the game as well as he did. Um, you know the, the one criticism people have sometimes is, is his pace on the turn, but he was able to to get back and, and make the siding block to, to keep the score at 1-0. Um, so it was very impressive from QPR to keep the score down and it was their own defensive work that did so, but Hull were able to create plenty of chances and I've got... Yeah, no doubt. You know, this isn't a team this isn't a, a, a result to um dampen the positive mood, I think, at Hull, because it was it could have gone either way. Moments of quality in the end, uh, both uh, in QPR's own box and going forward did win it. Um but Hull's performance level was still pretty high and they didn't deserve to lose it three 0 First minutes
0: of the season from Big Elias Chair, who I think could have a real impact on the top of the championship this season. Dovetailing really nicely with Chris Willock, uh, another player that we've mentioned in the last few weeks, who I think Willock, more so than Chair, who I've been banging on about for a long time, um, it, it kind of still... Uh, He still counts as a bit under the radar, I think, in in general championship terms, but that won't last for long because he's such a clever player. And he got his first goal of the season here as well. Middlesbrough away on Wednesday for QPR. Big, big test, obviously against Neil Warnock as well. Uh, One of his many promotions came at Loftus Road with QPR. Another team picking up their first win of the season was Cardiff away at Blackpool. Uh, Matt sent in a Sunday scouting report saying Cardiff's game plan was death by long throw and it worked a treat. Sean Morrison for them stood out, won every single header. Now, funnily enough, on opening weekend, I believe it was Aidan Flint who won something like 18 headers out of 20. This weekend, it was Sean Morrison who filled that role. It just shows the incredible strength that Cardiff have at the back in their defence and it shows that that taking the aerial route against them is not an option but stopping their own aerial route is the first objective and And blackpool tried their best but just couldn't do that and a lot of teams will not be able to handle it and and cardiff will pick up wins by default which is pretty rare for a team in the championship because of this set piece threat and um, they scored the most goals from set pieces last season by a mile in the championship Doesn't seem that that will change this season. What I will say, because it's easy to just focus on how direct Cardiff are because they are incredibly direct and that's not going to change. But I will just flag up Ryan Giles, who has looked really, really sharp in the first two games of the season. He was their standout man against Barnsley in the one all draw. And again, this weekend, I mean, it's not just his delivery from set pieces, which is brilliant with that left foot. And it's not just the cross that he plonked onto Kiefer Moore's head for the second goal, which was a brilliant cross on the run in transition. But the speed that he has, and particularly his his desire to run in behind, is something that Cardiff don't have, as far as I can tell, elsewhere in the squad um, in the final third of the pitch. So... We've spoken about them ideally getting more goals from people not named Kiefer Moore or set-piece. And maybe Ryan Giles is the one who can give them that sort of third dimension uh, and help them become a a, a better team, one that can establish himself in the playoffs and and who knows from there. Uh, A good start to the season, I think you have to say, from Cardiff. I'm not too concerned yet for Blackpool. Other than that, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Some of their summer signings, particularly Connolly um, and also Lavery and Bowler, have looked pretty good so far. And yeah, I'm looking at the, the team, the squad, and it it doesn't feel as good as the squad that they finished last season with. Um, having lost Sims and Ballard, particularly such key parts of their defence and their attack, um, I'm sure that others will come to the fore. And, and clearly we think highly enough of Neil Critchley that we're not going to start turning on him anytime soon. Um, but this was a big test and they didn't really pass it, unfortunately. Uh, and, and we'd like to see a bit more from them over the next few weeks, I think it's fair to say. Now... Their promotion rivals from last season, Peterborough, uh, got their first win in the season, George, 2 1 against Derby. This one live on Sky early on Saturday. And yeah, Posh up and running in intensely dramatic fashion. Um, it, it was not a good game of football. I've got to throw that out there straight up. Uh, Derby were poor, Peterborough were poor as well. Um, Derby went one lap in the second half through Jack Stretton. That was his first goal for Derby. And I think someone we're going to see a lot more of because Colin Kaz and Richards picked up what looks like a a mid-to-long-term injury uh, in the second half. And Derby do not have any other recognised strikers uh, at this point in time. And as far as I can tell, they're not in a position to be signing a ton of strikers right now until they get more of a green light from the EFL. So Stretton put Derby ahead. But as soon as you saw... 11 minutes of injury time go up on the board. You're just just worried for them and you felt like Posh, having not played well, were going to be able to do it. And and it was Posh's substitutions that, that kind of did the business for them, which is very much in contrast to Derby not having much off the bench. So it was Burrows at the back stick and it was Siriki Dembele scoring the winner in the 111th minute, I think, or at least the 100th minute. I think my overall takeaway here is that Derby just so unthreatening going forward Uh, and that's been a theme for a while now it's not just because of the 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 chaotic summer and it's not just because of the lack of options that they have although that plays a big part but Derby under Rooney have have almost never been good going forward you know I can think of one game against Birmingham last season on Sky where they blitzed them in the first half a few of those goals from set pieces from open play Rooney's Derby have never looked good and I'm not sure how they fix that especially not with the, the sort of the sort of signings that they're going to be able to make if they can. You know, the likes of Sam Bullock are being talked about. I don't see him alone being able to transform Derby's attack and that is concerning because while they have previously been very good defensively, now you look at them and you wonder whether they can cope with long spells of pressure for 90 minutes like they may have done back end of last season. Um, For Peterborough, I thought Joe Ward was very good. Always a player that I've liked just because of his, his energy down the right side, his delivery is very good and his versatility, probably not the best defensively but... Versatile enough, I think, to play right wing back in a in a back three five at the back system, and also right midfield in a four four two, maybe f- right wing in a four three three at a push. So he's a player that I like, and I'm glad he's um, started well in the championship. Jack Marriott played up front with Johnson, Clark, Harris, and looked very rusty. Um, as you'd expect from Marriott, looked lively and made some good runs, got into some quite good positions and then inevitably miscontrolled the ball or didn't finish well. So hopefully he can um, get back to, to form. He'll be a, a good addition to the posh front line if he can. Nottingham Forest 1, Bournemouth 2. Uh, George Cherry's opening day draw against West Brom. 2-1 win at Forest. That's a good start to the season, isn't it? And, and both of their goals were, were really nice pieces
1: of play. <sighs> Just quality showing through. I think in both cases, um, you know, you mentioned before the season started, this was going to be a big season for David Brooks. And he has already, I guess, kind of surpassed his performance levels for most most of last season. Uh, he was better here than he was um, on opening day in terms of, of taking his goal. He was lively throughout. But um, What did I say about him finding it easier against teams playing four at the back rather than five at the back? More space for him. More space for him to control and drive. Until until he uh, until he managed to get a second yellow, and and get sent off, which put um, well, it should have put Bournemouth under some pressure because it was a fairly tight game before that. Um, but Forrest basically resorted to well, I think uh, Zinchenko basically resorted to taking pot shots at any opportunity. Went down to when playing against ten men, and Bournemouth were able to see at home fairly comfortably. Uh, I, I still think Bournemouth are, are slightly. Behind, Well, I think they're a fair bit behind where they need to be if they're going to keep up with the the three that we expect to be the the top three. Although I would say now that I think West Brom and Fulham have proven themselves to be the class two out of the four as it stands at the moment with with, uh, Blades and Bournemouth with a bit to do. Um, But this is a classic case. And we saw it quite often last season with Bournemouth where I don't think we can give Scott Parker a a great deal of credit for his tactical acumen for this. This was a case of, of Premier League players Playing in the championship, showing their class and, and getting a couple of goals. Jaden Anthony, though, is a player that uh, I don't know if uh, we can necessarily credit Parker for unearthing him or not. But he's looks very lively. I think the the lack of depth has, has propelled him into a first team position that he probably wouldn't have had before. And on the left hand side, he was uh, a threat throughout, as he was on opening day against West Brom, uh, setting up Philip Billing's uh, second goal, um, the winning goal too. So. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a massive three points for them is the key part. I think it wasn't a an epic performance. I thought Forest uh, proved themselves to be, um, it was a better performance level than I think we saw for, for much of last season uh, with Forest. And I think that Chris Heaton is starting to get something out of his side. It's, it'll be frustrating for their home fans to see them getting beaten at home, uh, especially at a time where it's probably quite a good time to play Bournemouth because they've still got four or five players um, still to come just from their squad before we even talk about transfers. Um, and they w- would have wanted to take something from the game. Uh, Zinconoglu, even though I just had a, had a bit of a pop at him for having too many pops himself. He, <laughs> he is he is a very exciting player and someone who gives Forrest a bit of... Well, I, th- I think between him and Brennan Johnson, they have two players who provide an attacking flair that they've certainly missed for... I mean, even that season under Lamucci where they where they got towards the playoffs and fell away. Um having two players who can run uh can run at defenses who can um pin back opposition and 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 enforce them to to play a more defensive uh style and not provide the space behind um is important because that's something they've lacked for a long time and it also gives them balance across the park as well. so uh, I'm more positive still you know I, I seem to be it seems to be one of those weeks where I'm giving more credit to the teams that lose than the teams that won, but again, I think this was um an okay performance from Forrest, and if they continue down that vein, they'll be okay.
0: See, I think there's a little bit of early pressure on, on Hewton, um to the extent that...
1: that Re- Results-wise, c- definitely. Yeah, I mean, lost, but, but also...
0: So. Yeah, but for me, performance-wise as well, not overall in the two games, but in specific moments that I think are quite important. For example, when they take the lead against Coventry, and instead of seeing out that, that game where they've clearly been the better side, they suddenly turn into a, something of a whimpering wreck and, and concede to... Goals that that you never uh, associate with a with a Houghton side conceding, uh, and then here, to my eyes, a pretty poor effort at coming back against ten men for for a decent portion of the game, albeit against a you know a talented side. I think, yeah, I just think early, tiny bit of pressure. I'm not one to start piling it on, and I'm not one to make a big deal out of things. But I, I look, those are two disappointing aspects of the first two games of the season. And something to keep an eye on because we know that um, with the new CEO in charge at, at Forrest, Forrest appear to want to go down the, the more data-driven route. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying Chris Hutton can't fit that style, but if they are recruiting someone like Osei Tutu, who they signed in the week, for example, now he's a right back, he, he had to play at left back because they're so short in that area. He attempted eight dribbles, completed five. Like he's a He is a very attacking-minded fullback. And again, that doesn't scream Chris Hutton to me. So I'm wondering what sort of players they bring in over the next few weeks. And if we can consider them to be players that suit what we think is is Chris Hewton's style of football or not, there could be a bit of a clash there, I, I guess is just something that I that I wanted to say. Um, but really enjoyed Bournemouth's two goals. And yeah, they've not battered Forrest here. They didn't batter West Brom by any means, but they've already shown some really nice attacking play that I think even the best championship defences are going to struggle with, which bodes very well. Uh, we teed up Reading-Preston last Monday, George, by saying one of these sets of fans will be melting down, depending on the result here. And and it's North End fans, because Reading up and running with, with a 2-1 win and, and North End sitting there on zero points so far and two poor performances.
1: Two very poor performances, yeah. Um, I think for, for Preston to go into the season with the... The, the the first two games uh, being what looked like they should be kind of winnable games against Hull oh, at home and then Reading away. Uh, Reading given their issues, um, you know, these are two sides who they would anticipate, uh, you know, a minimum of probably two points. Um, and they've managed to concede six goals. Um, the, all of the issues that we spoke about pre-season with Preston, just in terms of of them having a manager in Frankie McAvoy who is having to take on a job that was so well. Executed by Alex Neal, a manager who'd won promotion out of the Championship to the Premier League, by Simon Grayson, who has proven himself over a decade of being a a very, very good EFL manager, or at least he was when he was at Preston. Um, Jury maybe out now in in terms of what he's done since, but um, it 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 seems kind of unfair to to lambast him, given he's coming into this job as his first kind of managerial job, and the expectations are. To outperform where they should be uh, based on the squad and playing budget, but we're seeing now you know, it's it's happened so quickly that you suddenly look at the team that's set up against Reading on Saturday and it just doesn't look like a Championship side at all. Um, you know, Scott Sinclair as the the key striker should provide that bit of um, quality in, in attack, but let's face it, he's a player whose career is on is on the slide. Um, you've got Alan Brown in the middle of the park, who is, of course, you know, a good player at this level. Um, but is he better than a, a kind of a mid-table Championship player? Maybe not. Um, in wide areas, you've got Berg and Cunningham, presumably providing the width, who are two very kind of defensive-minded wing backs. There's just not a great deal there to suggest that they're going to be able to to do this, and I and I, I can't see how. I'd be very surprised if, if this ends any other way, but suddenly Preston realising they probably need to make a change in the dugout and find somebody who has a track record of of getting sides performing above, above their level because that is what they do every season. And very quickly, in my mind, they've gone from being a, a team who's exciting, who they can easily break into the playoffs to being one who have to be concerned about relegation. And, and it was clear, you know, we were worried about both of these sides coming into the season and still now Reading's squad is fairly thin. But when you've got a player like Swift um, sitting in behind Lucas Schwaal, um, you look at Femi Aziz, who who scored his first goal for Reading, uh, an academy graduate who you know I knew very little of b- before the weekend, but looked very lively. Even the midfield pairing of Laurent and Rinomota, um, there is already much more threat in that Reading side um, with a solid base to build upon. Unlike Preston's where, I mean, there are players there that I really like and I have no doubt that with the right manager in, as we've seen before, uh, it still could still be okay. You know, my love for Ryan Ledson um, knows no ends, but at the same time, it just, you you spoke earlier about Huddersfield being a soft touch. It feels like Preston are very much going that way now. Um, Hapless in terms of, of preventing goal-scoring opportunities and, and pretty toothless in attack, is, is not a very good combination.
0: I'm a sucker for a pass and move goal with, with a ton of one-twos, so Swift's goal here, especially the one the first-time finish off the inside of the post. Absolutely dreamy. Too good, John Swift, for the second game in a row. Just pure quality, isn't he? Um, Callum, who, mm. who, who we chatted to on Twitter on Sunday, uh, Swift remains ridiculous for the championship. A one-man, ball-progressing, chance-creating, Goal-scoring, incredible hunk. That's how they <laughs> feel about him at the moment, and uh, it, it's hard not to agree. I mean, be- between him and Rob Dicky, I think we really do have the the two star performers of the championship so far this season. Let's just hope those hamstrings hold up. They have let him down in the recent past too many times. And then Femi Aziz, I like you um, can't profess to know a ton about Aziz, but he's got his chance due to well Mate's injury and the fact that Reading couldn't sign anyone this summer, uh, and he's taking it. I think. Um, you know, I asked about what sort of player he is. And yeah, it's interesting. We should not expect him to be the next Michael Elise. He's not the same sort of player, even if he's playing uh, off the right side of the four of two three one. He's more of a direct goal scoring threat, um, loves running in behind. Um, I-, I had him compared to Mate and Mo Salah stylistically in that he plays off the right, not heavily involved in build up play. But always running in behind and getting off shots and, um, you know, a bit of a a threat at the back stick, as we saw. Um, I liked the way that Callum said he isn't immediately aesthetically elite, which I think was a little nod to to Michael Elise, of course. But his XG will show his effectiveness. So looking forward to seeing more of him. Uh, Aidan, Preston fan on the NTT 20 squad, said Preston in the first half, lacked everything needed to succeed in the championship. And Alex, a Reading fan, said Preston are in heaps of trouble based on that performance. So they are the ones melting down. Uh, obviously, midweek fixtures, Saturday fixtures, when we talk next Monday, it would be interesting to see uh, if Preston have, uh, have, have have picked up any points from those games.
1: Uh, yeah, can... I could be looking very silly given that they, Well, the two teams we've discussed as being soft touches, Huddersfield and Preston, play uh, tomorrow night. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, maybe one of those teams will, will look to be in a better spot. But I, I think given the... The way they both started the season, I wouldn't be reading too much into the victors' um, positivity after.
0: Barnsley also on four points now after a 1-0 win against Coventry. Brad Collins, their keeper, the star for an injury-time penalty save. I think some of the Cov fans kind of wishing that Martin Waghorn had stepped up to take that one rather than Giocares, who, seriously, lively attacking player, by the way, but remains fairly unconvincing in front of goal, even if he has scored a few goals already. The winning goal scored by Dom Frieser for Barnsley. That's kind of what I wanted to touch on here because I think he's an interesting player, Frieser. He's not someone that I've ever been hugely enamoured with. And he he certainly under Ishmael, in terms of his attacking output, didn't always seem to be the obvious fit for that team. I think what he does have is clear pace, clear desire to run in behind. Um, And on opening weekend... He was slipped in and finished well, only to be called offside. And here, he's streaked through to finish after a really nice through ball from Ramal Palmer. And that's what what he needs to do because he is a player who doesn't do a lot else with the ball. He's not particularly skillful. He doesn't really dribble or carry it. He doesn't really create any chances. But he is very quick, very hardworking, very good for a high press, and I think a, a sort of net positive out of possession and if he keeps making those runs keeps consistently stretching defensive uh, defences rather then he's going to he's going to be a real threat because they've got other types of attacking player whether it's Woodrow who likes to drop in and and kind of create or shoot from from deeper areas some of those midfield players like Palmer and Styles who can pick a pass Um, yeah one to watch Frieza because as I say I've never been kind of too enamoured by him but maybe under shop he can get a little bit more output in terms of uh, in terms of his goal threat Uh, as for Kov Probably deserve more out of this game. Definitely deserve more out of this game, to be honest. Callum O'Hare has continued his very eye-catching start to the season. Uh, It was a a bit of a hatchet job on him five Barnsley players were booked for tackles on O'Hare which is pretty astonishing some of them worse than others um, but yeah he was uh, he was brought down at every opportunity but but kept playing kept kept taking the ball kept taking men on um, someone that we absolutely love and, and he is going to win games for Coventry this season uh, if he can stay there in the next few weeks Middlesbrough 2 Bristol City 1 George n- not a game full of opportunities uh, we saw Big Uce score his first goal for Borough after nice work from uh, young Isaiah Jones, turning Zach Viner inside out to set him up. Ig then then won the flick on for a crooks finish after a set piece, which I think we will see plenty of. For me, this was like, as someone who was quite bullish on Borough's chances and wants to see them challenge for the playoffs and beyond, this exact fixture, home to Bristol City... A team who are kind of still finding their feet. This is where I wanted to see a comfortable home win for Borough. I don't think we did see that. Um, there were certainly spells of the game where Bristol City looked the better side. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't leave think you know patting myself on the back, being like, yes, Borough are, are there. Borough are ready to to really challenge. But of course, a bit like what I said with Cardiff, that set piece threat is going to get them however many goals this season more so than most uh, teams and that's going to be a big thing for them so they, they've edged that one using that set piece threat, but I want to see a little bit more from them in open play was was there anything else that stood out for you in this game?
1: Yeah it, it's interesting that you mentioned um, Cardiff there because I think it's, it's kind of a lazy comparison because of Warnock and, and Mick having quite a similar reputation in terms of what they've done in the past and the way that they like to play their football um, It's also it was, a comparison kind of... that
0: we've never really enjoyed certainly in terms no, of style of play
1: No for sure, um and there was something quite predictable i thought when when um on quest when Colin asked um Ollie which clubs he thought were the ones that when he was talking about there being clubs who are closest to the top four, you knew that he was going to say <laughs> Cardiff and Barrow were the two um because of the respect those two managers have um but in in my head, they are definitely two of the more likely ones to challenge those top four, and from the first couple of games that I've seen. I've been more impressed with Cardiff, and and I know that style-wise the comparison is is lacking, but more in terms of the defensive solidity, I would say, where Cardiff are able to or have been proven to be able to basically shut games down and use those the the kind of aerial advantage that um, their three of of Nelson Morrison uh, and uh, Flint have over um, basically all sides and force them to defend that way. Whereas for Borough. Given Bristol City's attacking issues recently, they, they created way more chances than, you know, in my in my opinion, basically way more kind of half-decent chances than I thought Borough would concede against a side who have struggled so much going forward. And you look at the kind of quality they've got as well. Um, I was just surprised. You know, I didn't watch the game live, obviously, but having seen the result and then kind of looked into the game more, I was a bit surprised the way it came about. I thought that this would be kind of a war knock Um as you kind of mentioned, I guess kind of a, a, a game that falls right into the Warnock playbook here of, of, a, of a pretty regulation home win. So I want to see them maybe be a little bit more, um, just a bit tighter uh, at the back uh, in games against the weaker sides in the league. There is a 17-year-old called Alex Scott who has started both
0: league games so far for Bristol City and that has to be worthy of being flagged. Uh, Scott turns 18 next week. He's got that Jack Grealish vibe that uh, youngsters playing in his position in a number 10 or wide role um, love these days and similar to to Grealish and someone like Callum O'Hare really nice way of carrying the ball Uh, he's had a few nice moments so far in the two games without doing anything hugely impactful Um, but at that age to be starting the first two games of the season when Bristol City are not sure on options or of senior players I should say uh, I think that reflects very, very well on him. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more from Alex Scott, a player that Pearson rates very high, uh, highly. Incredibly rare, as I say, to have a 17-year-old start the first two games of the season. So all eyes will be on Scott. Uh, and it's a busy week for Bristol City. they got Reading uh, in midweek and then Swansea on Friday night, live on Sky. They need a win on the board, I think it's fair to say, in at least one of those games. West Brom got their first win, 3-2 win against Luton. Um, everything that we said about West Brom, having seen them in the flesh... Uh, on the first weekend of the season, kind of, that's relevant here as well. Uh, Two goals from set plays, Luton heading into this game with Osho and and Naismith playing centre-back, basically missing their two first-choice centre-backs, was never going to be ideal, and and without a natural aerial dominant centre-back, it was always going to be tough. Uh, And so so it proved um, relentless West Bromwich Albion creating... Penalty box opportunities. Uh, And then also, as we said, the reason why they're a a double threat nightmare is that they've got such quality in the front line that even if they don't score one or two goals from every game from a set play uh, play or uh, an aerial situation, they're probably going to score one or two goals per game through good attacking play. And that's what we saw for their third goal. So um, I think that, you know, the 3 2 scoreline. It might have flattered Luton a bit. Um, could that late rally have been West Brom stepping off the gas? Or could it be that they, they might struggle to maintain the level of intensity for 90 minutes? I think we'll find out a bit more in the next few weeks. But as discussed, Matt Clark coming in for Kipre, huge upgrade for them. Um, to have that left-footed ball-playing centre-back on the left side of the back three makes a big difference. So, uh, and, and yeah, just to say as well that Alex Mowat has slotted in very well as expected. Elsewhere, Britton Diath. Road again, two goals in two games for him. The equaliser for Blackburn at Millwall, Birmingham and Stoke drew nil-nil. The less said about that one, the better. You could probably say the same for Swansea nil, Sheffield United nil. Both teams very much working out their uh, their sort of <laughs> their final shape this season. I think it's fair to say. Uh, League One now, uh, we got four teams with a 100 percent record. George Wicked Wanderers are one of them. They went to Cheltenham on the weekend, three-one uh, winners. They were another good pretty even game I think Alfie May missing a one-on-one at a key moment at one-one uh, and then it was it was Wickham who imposed themselves and a, a youngster that we flagged up last week with some sweet sweet strikes Mr Pendlebury who sounds like a, a 1930s England international
1: yeah it was it was a tight game uh, but a game won by two moments of quality as you say from Pendlebury uh, another player who um, yeah, Reading fans are sure are wondering already why they why they let him go. They're having to listen to a player they let go about four years ago, and Rob Dickey tearing up the uh, championship from centre back, and now they're having to deal with um, a, a player who obviously was thought a lot of uh, a couple of years ago. Um, doing this, he looks very very lively indeed. And and for Wickham as a club and as um, and for the players after the back end of last season and the way they were relegated, uh, and probably not uh, involved in the promotion conversation as much as they believe they should have been uh, to start the season the way they have done. Um, especially, I think, they'd have, again, if looking at the fixtures before the the campaign started, they'd have seen that the opportunity was there to make a fast start, you know, to get a home game against Accrington and then travel to a team just promoted from League 2 as much as we think of, of Cheltenham, there's certainly an opportunity to start the season very well and of course the the season that they did get promoted it was their fast start that enabled them to to get into the playoffs and and get the promotion itself so um it feels a long time ago that I was very concerned for Wickham um given I I kind of didn't think Ainsworth was going to be here this season he very much is the recruitment looks solid uh the the losses of certain players Ipiazu uh Onya Dinma doesn't seem to have affected them too much now um and this was, you know, teams are going to find them very difficult to deal with. I still don't think they are one of the best teams in the division. I think we're going to see, well, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Wickham in their next couple of games, travelling to to Wigan in, in, in midweek and then hosting a Lincoln side, of course, who uh, were playoff finalists last season before then travelling to Sunderland. Um, those three games are going to be the measure of them if we're still talking of them in, in this sense as being one of the teams with the best records in the division after those five games then I think it would be impossible um, because those are three of the best teams in the league they're playing next so uh, I'm excited and intrigued to see how they get on
0: fans are happy that was certainly one of the, the most uh, well through the telly anyway the loudest sounding away ends uh, and, what, and when your you're new superstar uh thumps in two shots from outside the box right in front of you to win. Uh you can understand why they're in, they're in fine voice. Interestingly for Pendlebury centre midfielder we saw what a threat from range. I saw a Wickham fan calling him the league one Lampard um, which I'm completely accepting by the way based on those two strikes and we hope to see more of them. He's not asked to do a lot with the ball. Um now Wickham's central midfielders are not the type to rack up 60, 70 attempted passes anyway in a game, but just nine completed passes from 16 attempts, which I think feels low for a, a central midfield player that plays 90 minutes, but shows the way that the Ainsworth wants to get the best out of him because he ended up the match winner. Now, Mehmeti stood out on the highlights for sure, um, just as that bit of guile and invention in the final third um, probably offers something that Wickham don't have elsewhere in their squad. And I don't think Ainsworth will want to play him every game, but as a kind of horses-for-courses option, as was the case here, Mometi, you could just tell, even if it was Pendlebury who scored the goals, you could kind of tell that it was Mometi who was causing the Cheltenham back line um, a bit more of a headache. For them, I'm just looking forward to Carl Vassell being back at full fitness. I I really think he can be a big upgrade on Alfie May because I think that he can run the channels as well. I think he can run in behind as well and drift wide and and be a threat from those sorts of areas, which is what May does very well. But I also think he's a better finisher and I think he can score more goals. It's horrible to focus on one chance, but that one-on-one that May had... You've got to be taking those chances. Um, and and that game, I'm sure, would have had a different outcome if he had. So, um, looking forward to Vassell being being at full fitness. I think he could be a great signing for the Robins this season. Uh, George Accrington, two. Cambridge, one. Uh, Accrington off and running, putting last week's defensive horror show behind them.
1: Cracking game, this as well. Um, reminded me of lots of Cambridge's games last season where both sides created plenty of opportunities. Um, it was a case where it probably could have gone either way. And Accrington came out on top when most times of last season, when we said this, it was Cambridge who who had the match winner. Uh, in fairness, you know, they were they were 2-0 down after half an hour and great to see Sean McConville back to some form for Accrington. I think last season, by his standards, he had quite a quiet campaign, um, given what we came to expect of him. He was always you know, the talisman for, for Accrington for a long period of time before the likes of Dion Charles stepped up a bit. But two assists early on that, that took the game away from... Cambridge um to see Harry Pell making an impact at a league 1 level a player who i think has deserved this crack for a while um a kind of classic accrington signing i guess in a way just plucking a player who's been very good in league 2 for a while and and bringing him in um but yeah for Cambridge it's you know they, they've made a a pretty disappointing start to the season i guess um they've scored twice one one of which was a penalty on opening day which earned them a point but it's it's going to be tricky at the level and I think they're going to need to find a way to uh, to pick up some points fairly soon because it does feel to me like they are a side who could get left behind fairly quickly if they weren't to do that. Um, you know, not This isn't the time for early obituaries by any sense, but you're looking at them now travelling to a Plymouth side who we kind of categorised them both as being teams who probably had some relegation issues and Plymouth have, have looked... Um, certainly going forward this season, a completely different side to the one we saw at the back end of last season. Um, so it could be, yeah, I am I was concerned for Cambridge before the season started, uh, still fairly concerned for Accrington though after a, what was a very, very disappointing opening day defeat where they barely even showed up um, to make a fast start here to get and get that lead and then hold on to it. Uh, important for their hopes of, of ensuring that they at least maintain a, a mid, mid-table level for this upcoming season.
0: Pompey fans are very happy. Uh, with six points yeah. after two games, they beat crew. They two, class, uh, they beat crew 2 0 here. Um, brilliant second half performance, particularly. And one man that I mentioned last week, having stood out watching the highlights for his creative passing, um, did so again. Ryan Tunnicliffe with both assists, about as good a start to a career at a new club as you could possibly want. All sorts of eulogies being written about Tunnicliffe being far too good for the level, etc. And on this showing, hard to argue. So long may it continue. Both really nice moves, good football. Uh, for both goals for Portsmouth here. Very similar goals, you'd say. Tannicliff, um getting on the ball in good areas and creating chances first for Marquis, then for Harness. Similar finishes, um, probably both ones that the crew goalkeeper would want a second chance at, I think it's fair to say. But I think the game plan was good against a, a crew side that because of departures and because of uh, uncertainty around current players' futures as well, they're in a tough spot at the moment. And I think that's impacting their their performance on the pitch. So... Portsmouth doing the business. They've had, a, uh, you'd say, a pretty a pretty kind start to the season. They've got Shrews in midweek as well, who have had a really poor start. Um, they could be on nine points uh, after three games, which would be a brilliant way to start the season, but much tougher tests to come for them. Burton are another side on six points. There are four of them, George. They beat Ipswich Town 2-1. Uh, one side in, in Albion starting the season where they left off and, and the other still sort of moving
1: through the gears, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, Birmingham. Sorry, Burton have surprised me this season already. Uh, I didn't think they were. They looked set up to be to continue the good form from the second half of last season, but they've been really impressive. I think even in the the one all game uh, in the Carabao Cup against Oxford, they probably deserve to win in the 90 minutes, uh, albeit against a weakened Oxford side. But they've been impressive in every game, uh, and Hasselbank continues to um, to make any doubters, including myself, look fairly foolish. Uh, I do think this is probably quite a good time to play up switch. As things are gelling, um, I, I'm not concerned really that Ipswich uh, are in. You know, I don't think there's any any pressure, from my opinion anyway, on on Paul Cook at this early stage. I think when you bring in a whole new side, it's going to take time to gel. They were a Scott Fraser penalty away from probably winning this game. Um, very unlike him to to miss a penalty as well. I, I think, not to put too much pressure on the lad. I think Louis Barry's debut was or league debut was was pretty concerning uh, he really struggled to make any impact at all on the game um, barely really getting on the ball before being taken off with 20 minutes to go I'm sure in time that will improve uh, I also was kind of surprised to see Dobra starting on the right hand side I you think with all of the <laughs> attacking reinforcements that the Ipswich have made um, maybe a, a player who I know he's popular with with Ipswich fans as being an exciting young talent, but I, I don't think he's affected ga- effective games consistently enough for me at the level. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a difficult time, I guess, uh, for Ipswich, given all of the money spent and the expectations being so high. It is going to take time to improve. They have gone to a side in Burton who are a difficult side to go to and a difficult team to beat. Um, but I'm sure that the quality and time will show through. Um, but I, I guess maybe more so than the results themselves, it's been at Ipswich's inability to dominate games that has been probably the concern and the thing that will have to change before things, you know, you can look forward to a more sustainable run of good form. Um, Because as I mentioned earlier, when you've got the amount of quality they have on the pitch, they will win games. Um, But you want them to be doing it in a manner that suggests they're going to be very, very hard to beat.
0: We spoke at length about our positivity uh, surrounding Sunderland, the way they're going about things, their start to the season. Well, there's no change there. They went to MK Don's first game under Liam Manning uh, and they left with a 2-1 win, Sunderland did. Um, Dan Neal, who is a young creative midfield player, who had to play left-back on opening day because of, of their lack of depth in those areas. Uh, he took his chance in midfield because their new left-back, um, Serkin, who they signed from Tottenham, was in place. Uh, and it just feels like the the building blocks are being put in place, and they're being put in place with care. Square pegs in in square holes, I think is the vibe. Um, Embleton with a lovely little finish uh, to put them 2-0 up, and, and Ross Stewart with another good performance and a goal. So um, really positive signs. I'm looking forward to seeing what liam manning gets up to at mk dons so that's the sort of um appointment that i get very excited about he has a, a very interesting background in the game uh, he came through at ipswich town as a, as a young player but he didn't make it as a professional Immediately started on a an ambitious coaching journey, which I always think is is kind of a fascinating one, and has spent he's only 35 now has spent 15 years at turning himself into the coach that he needs to be in order to get these sorts of jobs. So um, he worked with West Ham for a while. He worked as academy director of New York City as part of the City Football Group. Uh, he was then appointed manager of their. Belgian first division side Lommel last season um, had an interesting year there obviously bedding in a ton of new young players that the City Football Group placed there I think he impressed with the style of play and the the way that he developed those guys so for me I can completely understand the appointment for MK Dons and I, I kind of respect the fact that having really bought into the Russell Martin process he was the youngest manager in the EFL um, he, he obviously spoke a very good game and everyone bought into it, which they needed to because there were a lot of teething issues. I like that they haven't decided that because they got dumped by Russ Martin, they now just want like someone proven at the level and just completely rip it up and start again. I think that comes from Liam Sweeting, who's the sporting director there, someone who every time he speaks, I find myself kind of nodding along. I think he's the he's the sort of person that every club in the EFL should have at the helm you know the Stuart Webber type who is in charge of making sure when there are bumps in the road um, they're not super costly in the short term so I'm sure there'll be a betting in period for Liam Manning be interesting to see how he approach things approaches things tactically um, you know they, they probably deserved a point in this game they had plenty of good moments and just uh, as always as we saw last season just lacking a little bit in both boxes so um, plenty more MK Dons to chat to come I think over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, I think this is probably two of the most interesting clubs in the whole EFL for what they're doing off the pitch at the moment. Um, you've know, you you've mentioned Manning there and I'm, I, like you, am intrigued to see what he's going to do and I, I applaud the outside-the-box thinking in terms of the recruitment there. Um, and I do think in terms of this game itself and on opening day at Bolton, um, we've seen enough to know, I think now, that the, unless Manning does a very poor job, the squad is good enough for them to still be a very, very good um, League One side, they created loads of chances against Sunderland. They were they were, would have been good value for a point, and for for Sunderland, I love. You know, I know that Sunderland fans have been a bit concerned about the, the slow recruitment over the course of the of the summer, but I like what they're doing now. Where we've seen them bring in a two-year loan, for the left-sided City centre back Callum Doyle, who's impressing already, but now. Frederick Alves comes in on loan who, who hasn't started yet from, from West Ham. Um, they're being linked this morning, uh, I think strongly linked, I think it's going to happen to a 23-year-old Everton uh, attacker as well. Um, it, I think what they're doing is they know that they've got a very good squad of players. They're now looking to bring in loans to supplement that squad, not necessarily first-team players, players who can just add a bit of depth and a bit of rotation And make themselves a very attractive proposition, not only for lone players in the future, but if these guys, you you look at the ages of them, I know the 17-year-old is obviously more of a long-term thing, but Alves and and the Everton lad there, probably if they're going to be successful, the chance of them having a Premier League future might not be that high, in in which case they can pick them up afterwards. Uh, It's just a very clever and cost-efficient way to build a good League One um, squad, where if things don't necessarily go right, they have the senior pros to fall back on. I um, and I and I reckon there'll be more to come as well. I think the reason we didn't see much movement at Sunderland was because normally these Premier League loans take a while to to surface because the clubs are waiting to see who they can afford to loan out and where they want to go. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that this Sunderland, this iteration of Sunderland, in its fourth season in the EFL, despite having probably 10% of the wage budget of the one we saw initially when they first came down are in a far, far better position to challenge consistently and sustainably than than, than they have done before. Wigan 1, Rotherham 0 uh, was a pretty entertaining
0: game between two teams I think that we consider to be potential heavyweights uh, of this division. And it was kind of punctuated by both teams trying their best not to score, having created good chances. Um, at least three golden opportunities spread across the two sides before Will Keane in the 94th, 95th minute. Um, flicked home a, a brilliant max power delivery um, and that I think that was basically the only difference between the two sides I think both teams had good spells and um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of both sides over the next few weeks but I didn't get a huge amount of conclusions certainly from that game, from that result um, Sheffield Wednesday 2, Doncaster 0 was an even game. I think Donny played their part certainly for the first hour or so, uh, and Sheffield Wednesday, who are, are still sort of getting to grips with their new guys under Darren Moore as a League One side with a lot of new players. But it was a Barry Bannon beauty that put them ahead. Donny at that point were just reeling. Uh, Adeniran doubling the lead almost immediately, and and look we've seen in in both games so far the nil draw with Charlton, um, where both teams looked quite rusty but there was one particular moment of real quality from Bannon which just made you, you sit up and take notice it's no surprise that he has the technical ability to do some things that that are pretty rare at League One level now uh, you know I think he's the sort of player who because of his organisational skills can get by without necessarily being particularly strong or quick physically um, I, th- I think someone like Adenaran is good to have around him um, who can kind of maybe be the, the ying to his yang out of possession, so to speak. But when he can do what he did on the weekend, curling in a ball into the top corner from 20, 25 yards, and when you can trust him to do that more than pretty much any other player in the league, um, it's just about getting him in the right positions and building the team around him as long as he's up for staying, which at this point in time, it, it feels like he is. And look, Wednesday, four points, no goals conceded. They haven't yet been particularly good in the final third, but they have been... Pretty solid. No goals conceded in their three competitive games so far. And for me, that's the exciting way around Uh, when you've got Darren Moore in charge, who I think we can expect to make some pretty big improvements on the attacking front. Well, if the foundations are there at the back already, then that should be pretty exciting, I think, for Wednesday fans. Uh, Lincoln 2, Fleetwood 1, already a bit of a theme emerging for for Fleetwood Town, being excellent in the first half and then falling away to lose. Um, It's twice now they've played two good teams, Pompey and Lincoln top half teams uh, at the bare minimum and they've been the better side to start both of those games and lost both of those games. So I'm a bit confused as to whether I should be encouraged at their level of performance in the first half with people like Shaden Morris playing brilliantly or very concerned at how easily they, they run out of steam and, and fold in those games. I, I, I don't really know where I stand here. Uh, for Lincoln, it was a poor first half. H- halftime changes, I think, made the difference here. Uh, Adelican came on, uh, Scully moved out to the left-hand side, Adelican played tucked in off the right, and... Um, His quality on the ball, uh, his ability to sort of jink past a man and and play clever passes, I think that really opened up the pitch. You could see from the two goals that they scored that down the left-hand side where Scully and Tao Eden, who was sort of underlapping him from left back, um, they had the space to thrive and and Fleetwood didn't really know how to handle that. So uh, it was a late, late penalty, wasn't it, for Lincoln to win this game? But probably by the end of it, hard to argue with the result. George, tell me what happened in Yellows against Charlton. Yellow's two, Charlton one, Oxford four points through two games. You must be getting a nosebleed after the way you've started seasons in the last few years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you put the caveat there, saying the way you've started seasons. Because it's about to kick off. Um, yeah, it was interesting because the um, when the lineup came out at two o'clock, Anthony Ford was playing at right back with Mark Sachs on the bench. Ford got injured in the warm up, and so Ryan Williams was moved from right wing to right back. Uh, And Mark Sykes was brought in to play on the right hand side of the three and Williams was the man of the match. And (laughs) everyone is wondering, you know, there's been such a big concern amongst Oxford fans and Kyle Robinson as to whether or not, as to where the the right back cover is going to come from for Sam Long, who for one of his um, qualities does seem to be fairly injury prone. And now everyone is wondering, have we stumbled across a very, very good attacking right back? I know Pompey fans would scoff of the idea of Ryan Williams being a very good attacking right back. But his first two performances for Oxford have been full of quality. Uh, he put in the ball on, on opening day against Cambridge for the, for Steve Seddon's goal. Um, he scored a tap in here, but, but created the chance himself winning a tackle, then sprinting 70 yards up the pitch to get on the end of the, of the rebound. To be honest, Craig McGillivray should have done a lot better, um, for the first goal. He should have kept on to the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oxford were the better team. They've conceded two goals this season. Both have been penalties. They've looked very, very solid. Um, Elliot Moore was out on Saturday. Luke McNally came in for his first ever league start and was faultless. Jordan Thornley's come in and done very well. Seddon's impressing. Oxford fans are just incredibly positive about what not only the first team looks like, but about the depth too. Uh, the recruitment looks really impressive. So too early to, to get over excited, but it was... You know, Oxford were a better team in the second half at two one as well. There was there was clearly a better side here. It didn't um, seem
0: like Charlton Athletic offered a huge amount of threat outside of the pretty large threat of Jaden Stockley.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think it's fairly one dimensional. Um, you know, we went to go and see them in the Carabao Cup on, in midweek, and you know they they played a pretty weak inside, but brought on Stockley, brought on Dobson in the second half, and it didn't really affect much. Um, they haven't scored. A goal from open play in their three matches so far they've scored one penalty and it's not like they're, like they're missing lots of chances as well for for such a positive guy in Nigel Atkins, whose teams generally play pretty positive football and quite a lot of investment in the playing squad as well um it's pretty one-dimensional I mean Kirk will improve that when he comes into the side there's no denying that and that's a big signing but um definitely for two teams who's Aspirations were probably pretty similar um, who kind of the market, the betting markets had as being fairly level at the beginning of the season. Um, it was pretty clear on the pitch on Saturday which team is, is further ahead uh, in terms of where they are right now.
0: Morecambe have four points through two games. They beat Shrews 2-0 here uh, in front of, well, an amazing crowd, really. They sold 700 season tickets the last time that season tickets were able to be sold. This season, 2,100, um, which is trebling their season ticket holders. It just shows how excited Morecambe fans are by the direction that their club is heading. And they're playing really well to start the League One season as well. Uh, Steven Robinson already getting a lot of praise for some tactical stuff that he did in the Carabao Cup against Blackburn. And just for using this squad that we felt in our gut was impressively built over the summer. Um, Now, it's still two of the old boys who are standing out the most, I would suggest. Cole Stockton, of course, with three goals in two games. Uh, Him and Matty Stevens of Forest Green, the only players on three across the EFL so far. Um, And, yes, just showing that he's so much more than a, a target man who brings others into play and doesn't offer much of a goal threat because... Now he's a target man who brings others into play, who can also carry the ball, who can also be a threat in the penalty box and, and finish his chance as well, which is a, a, yeah, it's a hell of a skill set, that. And then the right-back Ryan Cooney, who I think he did two years on loan uh, from Burnley uh, and then Morecambe signed in permanently this summer. He's only 21 and clearly has a home at Morecambe after those loans and is ready to kick on his, his sort of journey back up the pyramid because as right backs go both defensively in terms of enjoying the battle uh, but also carrying the ball forward uh, I don't think his crossing is necessarily something that stands out hugely but something to work on uh, and it started the season really well so you know it was late heartbreak wasn't it at Portman Road they almost left with a 2-1 win and now a very comfortable 2-0 win against a side in Shrewsbury that, that we thought would struggle um, and, and we kind of felt that Morecambe would most likely be in a relegation battle as well so all positive stuff for Morecambe and for Stephen Robinson. Uh, lastly, Plymouth One Jill's nil. Hugely emotional day at home park after the events in Plymouth at the back end of last week and um, uh, uh, an amazing moment really. Luke Jeffcutt's winning goal. Um, someone who's, goal. who's come through the academy has a great connection with the fans who they couldn't watch score a lot of goals last season, but they have watched this season already scored two and two. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant goal. The sort of goal that we'd love to see him score more of because. In his amazing run last season, he was scoring all kinds of poacher's finishes. I always think of Nikita Yelovich on this front, where it's like there was some stat about how 90% of his goals were first-time finishes, i.e., first-time shots or headers from cutbacks or crosses. That's kind of that's how Jeffcot was thriving last season, that kind of fox in the box poacher role. But this was pure quality and brilliant strike. Tom sent us a Sunday scouting report saying that Jordan houghton was also very impressive in the uh in the midfield holding role for argyle and that scar and wilson dealt well with the physical duo of akinde and oliver for jill so load of tick in the boxes there three summer signings they need to come in and hit the ground running those guys because argyle finished last season so poorly um but but uh, yeah a huge win for them they've got another home game in midweek as well and then don's three bolton three we're not going to talk about the football but just a, a welcome home to don's fans what a return to plow lane what an atmosphere um, what a performance from both sides! Really, just lived up to to everything that we wanted to see. Uh, I'm off to the new stadium on Tuesday night for the game against Chillingham. I can't wait, uh, and I'll tell you guys more about the new plough lane um, and the atmosphere and this Wimbledon side that we're very excited about then. Uh, Bolton starting the season with two three-all draws is uh, about as lively as it gets. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover them in more detail over the next few weeks. League 2, George, uh, we got four teams with two wins, and the first team to talk about is Forest Green Rovers. They went to Walsall over the weekend. They won 3-1 and they played Walsall off the park I think it's fair to say uh, a really strong performance really
1: encouraging stuff from Forest Green under Rob Edwards yeah sign me up I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I mean i mean, every year I try not to get too excited by new managers and want to give them a bit of time to, to show me um, and I'm now in with Rob Edwards and Forest Green they look electric they look so slick in the way that they are attacking and creating chances I think that Ebu Adams is going to have an incredible season given much more of a kind of a free role behind Matt and Stevens Stevens already I mean I know one of them was a penalty but looks a completely different player to the one we've seen previously you know as I we've always known that this Forest Greenside for the last two years has had one of the best squads in the division and has been unable to translate that into consistent wins you know halfway through last season they were top of the league and looked destined to go up um they've taken a bit of a chance on a manager who's never done it before um at this level but he obviously comes with amazing um references and an amazing uh reputation in terms of youth team football and that seems to be translating straight away you know these two sides walsall and forest green have gone about their off-field restructure in a pretty similar way over the last six to eight months with Walsall also bringing in a sporting director, bringing in Matty Taylor, a novice in terms of management but uh, whether this is because Forest Green already had better tools in terms of their playing squad being better than Walsall's they are much further along the curve already Uh, for Walsall it still feels like there is to put it kindly they're in transition Um, I guess you could put it bluntly and say that they still look to to be not up to scratch as to where their aspirations are but I think Forest Green are a side who are going to make it very, very difficult for any team they play against. And we said on on opening day that Sutton's performance against them where they well, matched them for 95 minutes before conceding very late on was a sign that Sutton are going to be very good. And that's played out pretty well given they've gone and, um, they've gone and, and got a draw away at Salford and, and gone down valiantly 3-2 at a, at a championship side. Um, this is the Forest Green we're going to see. And if I had to say now, you know, I don't want to go too far, but I think that Forest Green are, are the, probably the in my head now the um, the side who I think are probably most likely to win this league
0: ooh big things big things what about Stevenage they're also on six six points they went to Bristol Rovers and they left with a 2-0 win two very late goals one of them which would have been tough to swallow for Rovers fans was scored by Chris Lyons absolute gas legend of course helped them win promotion from League 2 into League 1 and fired home from a corner I always think if someone is able to volley home rather than head home Uh, direct on the full from a corner. Something has gone pretty badly wrong defensively um, there, which Joey Barton won't be very happy about. His assistant manager, Clint Hill, has left for personal reasons as well. And I think this was a classic case of of a Bristol Rovers side with a lot of work still to do um, due to the squad churn and general other aspects of the club. A lot of work still to do. And a Stevenage side who had very little work still to do over the summer because everything was in place in the second half of last season. And, George, they have faced one shot on target in each game so far. They've won both games to nil. In the second half of last season, Stevenage's points record over 23 games was that of a playoff team in League Two. And so far, there is nothing to suggest other than that they haven't been blitzing teams and blowing them away, but who does that in League Two, that there'll be anything other than a a playoff chaser this season.
1: Yeah, at least at least um, last season was a, they were in a false position for basically the whole season. Um, even when they were low down in, in League 2, they were, you know, in terms of the data itself, they were projecting as at least a mid-table side and then that ended up coming around their way with a good back end of the season. Um, I think Alex Ravel is just a really exciting manager who's, luckily for Stevenage fans, has gone very much under the radar so far, but that's about to change. You know, they went to a Bristol Rovers side who've got a manager and, and players who... Have played the majority of their of their recent career in, in League One, um, and were so solid uh, defensively and were able to create the chances to win the game. Um, yeah, it's, it's impossible not to be really impressed by what they've done so far.
0: Mansfield Town have six. Uh, they beat Newport two one. They've won both of their games two one. I don't think. Well, I think there's there's two parts to this. Firstly, the third win's important based on their last few seasons, George. So they got two of, and they've got two of two, and they've got. A, pretty decent fixture in midweek as well to get to that third win now in the 1718 season they won two of their first 1819, two of their first eight before getting the third win 19 two of their first 11 before getting the third win and last season they won two of their first 19 games before getting their third win so i don't think fans are getting carried away but they should be cautiously optimistic um they've won both games without being fully dominant um but showing a lot of the sort of qualities that we thought we'd see under Nigel Clough. Um, their second goal, for example, um, really nice flick on from Hawkins, doing what he does best. Really nice awareness from Daniel Johnson to, to hold the ball up and, and play a little ball in behind. And there was a someone breaking from midfield, Clark, in this instance. But they've got Maris, they've got Lapsley, they've got Charsley, they've got all these types of players who can offer a goal threat from midfield. And I thought that was a really nicely taken winning goal after the first goal for each side were... Well, we're either was either poor goalkeeping or poor defending, uh, you have to say. But great start to the season for Mansfield. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty about them over the next few weeks. And colu nil, Northampton-1. Fair to say, George, you saw this one coming. Uh, another good week for you on the betting show, sponsored by Betfair. You picked Northampton to win, uh, and they did. They went to You and they left 1-0 winners, despite uh, a red card from Fa- Fraser horsefall certainly a contender for funniest moment of the weekend, I think realizing he <laughs> realizing he's misjudged the ball over the top uh, realizing he's not going to reach it with his head realizing that the Colchester player might well run in behind and have a shot at goal and just just blocking it with his hands just putting his arms up and just pushing the ball away <laughs> and taking his red
1: yeah um yeah I mean I, I it probably proved to be quite a good thing to do given they ended up seeing out the game and winning 1-0 um yeah it, it probably wasn't quite the way that I thought Northampton would win I must say um I don't know you don't want to read too much into the, into stuff like this but but John Brady talking about how he's going to play football this, this season and to be honest Colchester played most of the football here um, you know they didn't um, there wasn't much between the two sides I don't think uh, I thought that Carlisle did a much better job on Colchester on opening day than Northampton managed to here uh, but Northampton got the goal and then in fairness to them the, the impressive part was how they saw the game out after Horsfall was sent off Um but yeah, maybe I was, I don't know, I, I'm try, kind of trying to work it out. I think the Carlisle probably are just a very, very difficult and good side this season, as we saw again in their game against Swindon uh, on Saturday. Um, and therefore, maybe we can upgrade Carlisle's performance a little bit. But I, I don't think, I think it may have been a, a fortunate win if for me on the betting show. I, I, cobblers are still, for me, lacking a little bit. In terms of what we've spoken about previously in this podcast, you know, the manner of win, the manner of the way that, that Stevenage and Forest Green won their games by being just assertive and not conceding many, many, um, many chances, whereas for, for Cobblers it was a little bit more, kind of could have gone either way, and they ended up um, ahead when the when the final whistle went.
0: Bradford beat Oldham two one in front of seventeen thousand six hundred fans at Valley Parade. That that's more fans than saw Brentford beat Arsenal two 0 Uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium on Friday night. Incredible attendance and they got a a late, late winner. A penalty from Lee Angol after Bahambula had equalised in injury time. A lot of Bradford fans getting in touch to say we've nicked this one. The Oldham were probably good for a point so I certainly Mm. won't be going overboard in my praise of, of Bradford. But let's just flag up Angol because I think he only scored one goal last season and two in one game here. Could he be Derek Adams' next restoration job. Uh, Col- <laughs> Cole Stockton last season.
1: Lee that, is- should a, uh, that should be a. That should be a feature on TV. Or like either a program where it's Derek Adams restoration jobs, and it's just a Derek Adams going over to footballers who kind of passed it, and him just resurrecting their careers. It would be a great view. Well, he's he's so short with his words and answers.
0: I don't think it would be a very long show. It would be no. Ideal. do. What I've done here is uh, I've taken a striker who was struggling to score goals <laughs> and I have breathed new confidence into them. They are now scoring goals and their career is suddenly moving in a different direction. Um, Perfect. That, it'd be nice if that happened to Lee Angol. I remember when I when I was working on the Channel 5 highlight show a few years ago, Angol, I can't remember who he was scoring for at that time. Was it maybe Leighton Orient? He's, he's really bounced around. And every time you would tweet about him on the Channel 5 account, maybe you'd send out a clip of his goal or something like 15 different people with the surname Angol would retweet or, or favourite it. So the one thing I've always known about Lee Angol is if someone can get his act together, he can be a good goal scorer at this level. And he's got a very loving and large family. So good luck to him. Um, got both goals here. I don't think the Oldham keeper will want to watch either goal back. I felt he should have saved the penalty and certainly should have saved the first goal. Um, but for Bradford, positive performances from Gilead. Some signing a course from Scunny. Uh, the youngster cousin, Dawson, as well. And Callum Cook, as always, uh, at the heart of midfield, really, really good. Swindon 1, Carlisle 2. George, I think your favourite Swindon town, who you spoke glowingly about last weekend, but with the caveat that, the, you know, early days and lots to sort out still, I think they got a bit beach balled here.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, as as I said a second ago, I think Carlisle uh, quickly uh, showing the same... Performance level as we saw in the first half of last season, where their their relentless press pressing is making it very te- difficult for teams to get out. And we saw Swindon control this game for for much of it, but control in, in not a very <laughs> attacking sense, basically just having the ball in deep areas. Um, having said that, I do think that Swindon's you know, Swindon created a fair few chances despite them being penned into their own half for most of it, and I I don't think this was in any way a performance or Result that has me um, reconsidering my Swindon positivity. Um, even though the, the red card to, to Hayden, I mean, it should mean he's only out for one game. Um, but he again on the right hand side of as an attacking right back was probably Swindon's best player on the day in, until the, the foolish sending off. Um, but yeah, I think Carlisle are very quickly showing that they are still a side who are going to be very very difficult for anybody any team to beat. They are. Uh, Beachboard is 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 live. Even in the second half of last season, when Carlisle picked up decent results, um, it didn't really feel like it was in the same style as as, as before their COVID break. Whereas now, um, they are a, an absolute nightmare. They are kind of re- reminds me of I think Beachboard is kind of Valball light, where they just push you so high up the pitch and um, and attack at any opportunity. And Swindon have found it very very hard to cope with. Leighton Orient three, Exeter City nil.
0: Certainly an eye
1: catching result
0: and with the dominant performance to back it up, uh, which I enjoyed very much. I watched Orient against QPR in midweek in the Carabao Cup and their second half performance was excellent uh, and felt like more of the same. I think what I'm most excited about here with Orient under Kenny Jackett is that they look like a strong team, by which I mean physically strong, very competitive, very up for the battle and certainly able to play direct, which I think we knew was going to be the case based on Jackets history and the style that he has played elsewhere but also that has been overplayed for sure when it comes to jacket this idea that he is just some lumpet manager is so wide of the mark and mm. just as Portsmouth did although it was overlooked sometimes and why I'm excited for Orion is they can play good stuff as well and so far this season they've scored set piece goals they've scored goals where they've gone direct and they've won and they've won flick-ons or they've won second balls in, in the opposition's final third and they've also scored a goal or two where they've just knocked it around, they've they've recycled the ball, they've been patient, they've waited for openings, they've played it into good attacking players, and they've and they've created and scored really good goals. So, it's it's early days, of course it is, but it's that it's that kind of dual ability to to be able to go along and be a threat in that sense, but also to play good attacking. Proper football, if you like, uh, as well. I think that's that's caught my eye, and Kipriano in midfield, youngster, uh, he's caught my eye. He also caught the eye of uh, S.E.A. Grecian Extefan, who tweeted this on Sunday to say uh, some really quick, neat passing. He's a key to that, you know, to that ball on the deck approach, as much as certain other players are key to to the more direct approach. Great start to Kenny Jackets regime. and Barrow three, Hartleypool, Nil, George, a cracking game at Holker Street. The fans had waited a long time to be able to watch their fan, uh, their team back in the EFL. Um some cracking goals as well in this one.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean it, it made a mockery of your assessment that that's usually spot on that um three five two versus three five two causes a terrible <laughs> game. Um it was a brilliant yeah I mean it Barrow took the lead three times. The third time was enough um to get the three points. They uh, it was their new cult hero, Dimitri C, who came off the bench and got the winner. And I love the way that it was a tap-in, but he decided to absolutely rifle it into the side netting the way that we all would do. But I think he <laughs> I think thought think he was offside, friends. that's right. Um, a shame for him that he ended up going off injured. Hopefully for Barrow fans, it's nothing too serious because he does look like a very, very lively player released from Aston Villa um, now at Barrow. Um, but I think the, the important thing here was for A, for Barrow to get their three points. But secondly, I thought Hartlepool were really impressive. The way that they were able to come back from behind twice, showed some real character and quality. Um, I said on the betting show when I tipped up Barrow that I thought this was just a game where the home side were just better than the away side. And whilst that was played out again in the scoreline, I thought Hartlepool put in a level of performance that um, I didn't necessarily think they would do. So, yeah, I'm taking out of this. um, Probably the Hartlepool are going to be a side... Well, certainly won't be a side who I think teams are going to beat very easily. I think Dave Challoner as a manager is, is already starting to impress. But for Barrow to get that three points, to get away, for Zanzala to get his uh, his first goal for the club as well, um, really important. And it, I guess it shows, you know, both sides showed some character in terms of the way the game went to. So um, positives to take for both teams. I'd like to update my stance on
0: three at the back versus three at the back. And it is three at the back versus three at the back is bad for aesthetics as long as both teams are good at defending three at the back versus three at the back where neither team seems able to cope with a regulation cross into the box and you've got a cracking game on your hands so there you go <laughs> um it's a, it's a longer version doesn't roll off the tongue as well but there you go um jamie sterry by the way we mentioned him last week hartley right back we mentioned his delivery on opening weekend some more wicked wicked crosses in in into the mm. box from the right hand side um already looks an absolute class act which is brilliant to see I know that um, I had a few messages from people after I mentioned him last week saying they either knew him from football manager or remembered him as a Newcastle reserve player and brilliant to see him um, making such an impact early on for this Hartlepool side Um, and that's that for this podcast. What a weekend in the EFL. It's taken us a long time to go through the best bits, but hopefully you've got to this point, you've enjoyed it, and hopefully you feel like you've uh, you've got a good steer on what happened. And we go again in midweek, the first round of, of midweek games uh, spread across Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, I'll be at the Wimbledon-Gillingham game. I'm looking forward to getting uh, uh, eyes on both sides. And we will not have any space, sadly, in our pod schedule to break down the midweek action. But the NTT 20 squad which is a, a community of EFL fans that we have set up and we run through Leveller, uh, we'll be living it all on there. We've had such a good start to the season. We've got around 100 members on there. I think two thirds of the 72 EFL clubs have a have a fan in the squad. So we're getting a brilliant insight into all teams. And we've been so delighted, not just with how the people who are part of the squad have responded to it so positively, but also have, how everyone's really bought into it, asking a load of questions of everyone, but giving great insight into their team as well. I think we'll be dishing out some midweek awards as well on the NTT 20 squad on Thursday. So uh, it's a good place to be if you are a massive EFL nerd and you'd like to be in a, a really lively community of like-minded people. Now there is a monthly fee of 4 99 to be part of the squad. Um, there will be lots of exclusive content. Of course, George and I are on there all the time Um, but there is also a two week free trial so if you'd like to sign up uh, and check it out you get two weeks just to see the lay of the land and work out if it's something for you going forward Um, the link and all the details of how to join is in the description of this podcast it's also on our twitter account if you click the link in our bio so we hope to see you there Uh, and we'll be back on Thursday with a betting show ahead of the weekend so it's a busy week it's a great week Um, we're so thrilled that football is back and we've loved it so far so hopefully you're enjoying listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast please make sure you're subscribed we're sponsored by Betfair and we thank them hugely for their support Uh, and we'll talk to you guys again on Thursday